Today we're continuing on in Mark. We'll do that now for a few weeks as we get ready for Advent. And as you know, we're only at the beginning. So we'll be looking at Mark in the new year and continuing on. And today you heard Catherine read chapter 2. Uh, today, starting at verse 18 to 22, if you want to turn in your Bibles to that. And you already saw the word at the end there, but Tawadi. Now, maybe you want to say that with me. I'm teaching you a new word. Some of you have heard it before. Tawadi. Say it again. Tawadi. I think you're going to probably say that word to each other a bit after a while. You'll get to know what it is. But uh, I heard this first from Nina Gunter. She taught it to us at General Assembly at the Mission Convention. And so there you go. It's a good mission word to deal with. Tawadi. Because it holds back missions. You know why it holds back mission? It holds back change and transformation. It is the dreaded Tawadi. Now, I don't know how good your glasses are. But it's a short form for that's the way we've always done it. That's the way we've always done it. And so today we're looking at this passage about old and new. And I'm not going to quilt for you this morning, but some of you know that I like to quilt. And there's something that we need to understand as we come into this passage in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, there is this tearing, there is this ripping that goes on, and I want you to listen to the sound uh, just to get your mind around as we're continuing to read through this Gospel of Mark and reread it and look at it. And, and some of us know that at, at a very young age, I was taught that if your uh, fabric was crooked or it was cut crooked, the way, to, the way to find the proper the proper grain and make it very, very straight is that ripping, that tearing. But why did I do that this morning? I did that because I wanted you to hear that, that tear, that ripping. And a lot of, a lot of scholars believe that's what Mark has in mind as you come into the gospel of Mark. And we, we see this idea that something is ripping, something is tearing, something new is coming, and the old is past. And so we see, as we already looked at at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, it says that the heavens ripped open at Jesus' baptism. The heavens ripped open at Jesus' baptism, and the Father said, This is my Son, who I am well pleased. Then you come to the end of Mark, and we're definitely a long way away from there, but it tells us that the veil... Do you see it? The veil in the temple, the veil that was actually in behind the heavy curtain that actually was 80 feet tall, Josephus tells us, the place that hid the Holy of Holies. And actually, many scholars believe that it had on it the picture of the heavens, the starry hosts. That's the veil that tore in two at Jesus' death, and you could hear the tearing and the ripping of the heavens. We know that Caiaphas, he rips his garments as Jesus confronts him with the claim that he is the Christ. And then we see that terrible picture, which often we only look at, unfortunately, during the Holy Week, where Jesus' flesh is torn, is ripped at the flogging. And so Mark is saying, can you hear it? Can you see it? Something new is happening, and that's what we're dealing with today. But in a way, we need to back up a little bit. We need to back up and look at this new and this old. 
And so there's the old covenant law, right? Back in the Old Testament, back into Exodus 19, God had been with his Jewish people, and he sets them free from Egypt and from Pharaoh, and now they're at the bottom of this Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up, and he receives these commands and these laws. But then God says to him, go down to the mountain and start this covenant with me and my people. Bring this covenant, this biblical covenant. And what is a biblical covenant? A biblical covenant is this agreement that God initiates. Now here, that's important. God initiates, but it's an agreement between him and his people. And if they obey their part of the agreement, God will obey his part. It's contractual. It's it's this old covenant that God was making with his people. It was a covenant of grace. That's false teaching when people will say to you, the Old Testament is the Old Testament, the the new covenant, I mean the old covenant and the new covenants of grace. It's all grace, friends, because God initiates and we receive and respond. God said to them in Exodus 19, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we are told that they uh, responded, yes, we will enter into this covenant with God. Wonderful. Very high moment. Beautiful moment. Read the rest of the Bible. (laughs) They failed terribly to live up to God's laws and God's, they were disobedient. They didn't, they didn't follow. And the truth of it is this morning, if we were to look at our own lives, Who could stand? We've all fallen short. Praise God. He had a plan in place, and the plan was what? The new covenant. God had the new covenant in plan, and Jeremiah 31, he prophesies about this wonderful new covenant. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people, and no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. You're a recipient of that. So, what changed? God's laws didn't change. His commands didn't change. What changed was God would change us. The new covenant is about something new happening in us. The laws are no longer external, but now they are written on our minds and on our hearts. And so God was sending this new covenant that would transform people from the inside out. Jesus is saying the covenant has come. When we were talking about the ushering in of the new kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what we're saying here. The new covenant has come. We are the recipients of what Jeremiah only knew as a prophecy. There's a song that Pastor Mike and I sing from many years ago. Uh, It talks about what the prophets knew as mystery now moves in me. That statement has always resonated with me. 
what the prophets talked about. When you read this and you read the prophets and they're longing and hoping for the day, you've experienced it. That's why when you come to church, there should be a shout of hallelujah and a little bit of excitement. Because Jesus says this new covenant. And so here's the issue. Our passage starts with the legalists. You know, those that focus on the outward things, those uh, self-imposed, remember I'm saying self-imposed disciplines, the ones who go around asking, why? Like you like that little emphasis there? <laughs> why? <laughs> why? Why does Jesus eat with sinners? Just go to your previous verses. Why do Jesus' disciples not fast, and yet the disciples of John and the Pharisees, they fast? Why? Oh, we've met a few people like that, haven't we? And so these legalists are here, and they're focusing on the outward and the external and the old, and they're wondering why Jesus and his disciples do not fast. Tawadi. Can I say that word again? We're told, even in verse 18, who these legalists were. These legalists were the disciples of John and of the Pharisees, who were, by the way, fasting. John, by this point, is in prison, and some of his followers still sought to live before God in the old ways. As long as they were disciples of John and the Pharisees, they were looking at every little word and trying to keep it to the letter of the law. Strict obedience to the law, the old way. They have an old covenant mindset. They're struggling with change. Ooh, does that sound familiar? They're struggling with things that are different, and they were in the habit of practicing fasting. Now, hear me right. I believe in fasting. I believe fasting is a wonderful, beautiful discipline that we are called to. But in this situation, do you realize the Old Testament only calls us to fast once a year? That's the commandment to fast. And that was on the Day of Atonement. So Jesus knows that's the only place that God ever commanded. Fasting is a choice. Fasting is a, a, a discipline where we want to bring those things under the lordship of Christ so that we might be brought closer to him and focus on him. That's what fasting is for. But in Jesus' day, these legalists had now made it and demanded that people would fast. So you can't really demand a fast unless it's the Day of Atonement. And so they demanded fast. Oh, and they didn't just demand a fast. They demanded fast twice a week. So two times a week you're supposed to fast. Oh, and they didn't just demand a fast twice a week, but they actually uh, were going to tell you when. <laughs> and they would tell you that you needed to fast on Mondays and Thursdays. That's when you needed to fast. Not Sundays and Wednesdays. Monday, <laughs> Mondays and Thursdays you fasted. Oh, and you couldn't fast. That well, we'll tell you the hours you can fast. And the hours you're supposed to fast are from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's what they had started. And this is what they come to Jesus with. Jesus was not willing to leave them there. <laughs> Praise God. Jesus wasn't against fasting. He was against 
their fasting. It was all for show. Their fasting, we're told, because Jesus deals with this in other scriptures we'll see in the Gospels, they went around with whitened faces. They would actually make themselves look pale so people would know they were fasting. They messed up their garments and looked like somebody that slept in for church. (laughs) And they went around mourning and sad all the time. Because they wanted everyone to know and everyone around to see that they were fasting. And so that everyone know, wow, look at those spiritual people. How pious they are. Ritual and display. But we know, and John knew, I mean, and Jesus knew, that fasting was really about the heart. Why do the disciples of John, and why do the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not? Why, Jesus? Well, my friends, we've met people like that. We meet people all the time. Why, why do they, and why don't they, and why? And often, if we're not careful, we can fall into the trap that our faith is outward, and it's displayed for all to see, and, and we put on the show for others when something inside us has dried up and shriveled up. If we're not careful, it's to show other people that we're pious or super spiritual. Those kind of people tend to live by rules and regulations. And hear me right, I'm not speaking about obedience to God and righteousness. That's something different. But it's become rules and regulations. And the problem is when you meet those kinds of people, they're not happy to follow their rules and regulations. Go for it. They want to make sure that everybody else follows their rules and regulations. And they tend to ask the questions to Wadi. This is where I had to say all that today to let you see how Jesus responds to them. This is how Jesus answers their question. He gives three answers this morning. He first of all says, the kingdom of God is not about mourning and fasting. The kingdom of God is about joy and feasting. That's what the kingdom of God is really about. I don't know what picture of the kingdom you have received, but I love this picture of Jesus that I found this week. See, the wedding celebrations in Jesus' day would go on for weeks. That is a father's nightmare. That you got to provide feasting for two weeks. (laughs) That's why that whole parable of the wine running out and Jesus being called upon because it would be a disaster. And so there's this feasting that's going on, and two weeks, it was, but the truth of it is life was difficult then, and life is difficult now, but it was so difficult then that this would be the happiest days of a groom's life, those two weeks of feasting with his groomsmen. And so what's beautiful here, Jesus is saying that his disciples are his groomsmen, and these are the happy days. That's not the TV show, by the way. The happiest of days, is, and this is when the bride and the groom would invite their closest friends and they would gather for days and feast together and there would be so much celebration and so much joy. Now, we've been told uh, that Zita, some of you don't know where our last name comes from, it's Italian. Uh, it's an actual dialect word. Actually, you can get pasta with our name on it, a certain shape. Uh, but 
The name actually, we were told, according to dialect, is the wedding feast. So when you, when you go around saying, you know, Pastor Zita, which you guys don't use, he's Pastor Betty, but I do get a little bit of that in the community, you're basically saying, hello, Pastor of the wedding feast. <laughs> pastor Mike of the wedding feast. I, I like that. I'm waiting for the great feast. Hallelujah. Right? Uh, but that's where it actually comes from. And, and so there's a whole idea of feasting and celebration. It's not time for a funeral and fasting and mourning, as Jesus is saying, because with Jesus' arrival, the new age, the paradigm shift, the tear has happened. I like what somebody said with such momentous things happening and radical changes on the way. It was not time to practice religion as usual. Do you practice your faith that way? As usual. Oh, we've heard a lot in the church, when everything goes back to normal, God help us. I don't ever want to be normal. <laughs> I thought, I saw this this week. If Christianity is boring to you, then you haven't met Jesus yet. Now, I'm not saying life isn't difficult. That's not what I'm talking about. That you can have joy even in the midst of a storm, even in the midst of difficulty. But if you haven't understood the excitement of faith and following Jesus, then I don't know what Jesus you've accepted. And God needs to reveal that to you. Then we move on to the cloth. And so he talks about this symbol about taking a piece of cloth and sewing it now onto old cloth. He says in verse 21, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old and make the tear worse. Now, I've heard, found out the hard way that you don't quilt with unshrunk cotton. <laughs> for some of you guys that aren't quilters, there's a tip for you today. And so this was an old truth. It's even here in the days of Jesus. And isn't it wonderful? He brings an answer right into the home with the women that would be mending the clothes. That's how much Jesus cared, that his teaching was not just for these elite, but it was for everyone in every situation. And so he uses this everyday life example that people probably learned it the hard way, like I have, that they would take new cloth and they would try to patch the old garment that had a big hole in it. And as they put that new cloth, it looked beautiful. The person wore it for a few times until it was time to wash it. And when they washed it, that which was new shrunk quicker than the old that had been washed many times, and the very work that you tried to do tore a bigger hole and that it was all ruined. And so Jesus is saying here that the important thing that we need to realize, that you can't take the new spiritual realities of the kingdom of God and then try to go around and patch the old with it. Jesus is not in the business of patch-ups or a little fix-it, or let's continue to do what we've always done, but I just need a little bit of Jesus. Jesus is about the full renovation, the whole package, or he will have none of it. That's what Jesus is talking about. Something totally new and changed and transformed. And my friends, it's not a patch-up job that God wants this morning. It's out with the old and in with the new. 
You know, I almost had this vision as I tore that wide open, as Mark says, and it's like us now getting there and trying to sew it all together again and make it look pretty. Unfortunately, that's what some people have done with their faith. They have forgotten that it is free and it is a gift and you do nothing to deserve it. And it's new and glorious and all you can do is receive it. Don't get there sewing jobs trying to patch it all up. It's not what Jesus has asked for. And now we come to that third answer of the new wine in the old wineskins. Lacticity. I can't even say the word today. I could when I practice. <laughs> Flexible, adaptable. Verse 22, our last verse, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. See, when wine is being made, the yeast eats at the sugars of the grape juice, and a gas, carbon dioxide, is made and it produces uh, in fermentation, this process will take place, and as it produces these gases, if it is in a sealed container, a glass bottle, it will burst. You might find that out the hard way. If back in Jesus' day, they put it in wineskins. They would put it around their arm and travel with it, put it over their donkey as they traveled. And, and so there is this reality that Jesus knows another symbol of everyday life and saying you don't take new wine and put it in an old wineskin, because if you do, it will burst, and all is lost. See, the newer, fresher skins, the brand new ones, were supple, adaptable, flexible, and able to take that which was new and expand, while the old wineskins, dry and rigid, couldn't. Here's a question for you this morning. And for me, are you fixed in your ways? How do you do with change? How are you doing during COVID-19? How are you doing today having to wear a mask? How are you dealing with that? Oh, yesterday, wear a mask in Walmart. Are you flexible? Adaptable? Are you willing to allow God to do new things in you and allow him to expand you in new ways that you never thought? Or is it Tawadi? Tawadi, Tawadi. Are you old and dried up? Oh, pastor. Terrible to say. I'm not talking about your age. I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about a mindset. See, I caught everybody. All of a sudden, there's a few that woke up. She, she called me old and dried up. Because <laughs> I, I, I've met some elderly people that are the most flexible and adaptable that I've ever met. That they're willing to embrace what God has for them. It's not about age. I've met some young people that are not flexible and adaptable and don't like change. Now, we have our personality traits, but this is something more than that. Are you willing to grow? Here's a plug for Sunday school. Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to expand? Are you that kind of person? Then Jesus is saying, then I can pour my new wine in you, and you can handle it. But if we're dry and old and rigid and set in our ways, 
We can't handle what God has for us. We tend to shut him down pretty quick. Thank you, Lord, but not that. Don't ask me to do that. Thank you, Lord. I just got back to church. I'm just in the B group. I'm back in Sunday school. I'm enjoying that. Don't ask me to go down and worship in the fellowship hall. Heaven forbid. You see, I think there's something amazing that God is doing in COVID. He is stretching us. And that's a good thing. He's challenging us. We're coming to a place where we're thrown into change all the time. And we're learning to adapt. And we're learning to be gracious. What does our minister of health say? Be kind and gracious towards one another. Islanders right from tip to tip are learning that. We're not always doing the best job at that, but we've been learning how much more for us as the church of Jesus Christ do we need to be people all the time, not just during a pandemic, be willing to learn and grow and be open to what God is wanting to do in our lives. I met many years ago, did never really met her and her husband. We happened to drop into a church in Welland. We were visiting, we went to look for a church that morning, <clears throat> not even of the same denomination. It was close to where we were staying, and we decided we'd go to church there that Sunday. That's always a weird feeling, isn't it? A little strange. You miss your home church when you go into a complete strange church. You know your brothers and sisters in Christ, but you don't know them, and it's kind of an odd feeling. Sometimes it can be a real blessing. This Sunday, it blessed me. And so what really blessed me uh, was, first of all, there was the youth service, and it was the youth that were leading worship. And, and unlike our team that are really, really great, they weren't so great that morning. And they were struggling. And the church was full. The church was full because the youth were up, and they were leading the church in worship. And there was excitement in the church because the youth were up leading the church in worship. So it wasn't the regular Sunday, and it wasn't the regular team that was up. It was a bunch of young youth that were trying their best to lead the church into worship. What's the story? We were seated there, and I was watching them and trying to encourage them and, and, and all of it, and, and glad to be there. All of a sudden, I looked at a couple who were just maybe two pews from us. They were elderly. They were quite elderly. They had all they could do to stand. One, remember the day when her hair was blue, right? They loved to dye their hair blue. She was upright, and she had her hands up, and the youth were leading worship, and she was standing there, and she was in worship with the youth, and it touched my heart that I still remember it. And then there was him. He was so bent over, he couldn't even look his head up to see. He hardly could. And yet the whole time the youth led worship, he was up on his feet and praised his hands. His hands could only go this far. And he had to do all he could to hold his head up to watch them lead worship. That's why I said to you, my friends, it's not about age. 
It's about a heart that's open to what God wants to do. It's a mindset that says, Lord, I'm flexible. I'm open. I'm adaptable. Pour your new wine into me. Help me never to become rigid and dried up and stuck in my ways and go around saying, Tawadi, Tawadi, Tawadi. I love what somebody said here. This is not about the laws or the commands of the Lord. Remember that. They were never wrong. Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. What needs to change, my friends, is our hearts in the church of Jesus Christ. It's our hearts that God wants to change. The new covenant is about changing our minds and our hearts to receive the new thing that God wants to do. And I love what somebody said. It's about having a radical awareness of God's reality. It's about having a sense of wonder and amazement about the reality and the presence of Jesus in our lives and the salvation he brings and the power he brings to enable us to live a righteous life. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's about having our sins forgiven. It's about being reconciled with God. It's about having the Spirit of God taking residence in us, living in us, creating a new nature in us. It's about being born again, born from above. It's about becoming a child of God. It's about being filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, walking and living in the Spirit. It's about being alive to God in our hearts, aware of Him, thinking about Him, talking to Him. It's about having a new love for God and a new love for people. It's about being so filled with the Holy Spirit that He helps me to love God and love people and even my enemies, if need be. God is wanting to do a new thing. He's always wanting to do a new thing. Do you know what's interesting is legalism later would become a problem of the church. Even the early church that was filled with the Spirit and growing, we know that because they were to- we were told that they were the ones of the circumcision, the party of the circumcision. How would you like to be a part of that group? <sighs> Galatians, the book of Galatians deals with that issue of legalism. And if you look throughout church history, there's always been legalism and traditionalism. Now hear me right, hear the ism, nothing wrong with traditions, but if we worship them, they become traditionalisms. And if we're not careful today, we can all fall into that same legalism. If we're not careful, our souls can waste away and dry up and we only look at the externals and we can't recognize that God is wanting to do a new thing. I like how somebody said, we'll be left on the platform as the kingdom train leaves the nation, leaves the station. Left on the platform. You ever get there? I used to take the train a lot in Europe and you rush to get your train and there it goes. This person is saying, if we're not open and flexible and adaptable, it will be like that person standing on the platform, and there goes the kingdom train, and I just missed it. It's not what God wants for us. When God is doing a new thing, he's expecting us to join the celebrations with great joy, to join the party, not to grumble because of the new thing that's threatening to burst our old containers, our old lifestyle, our old way of doing things, Isaiah already prophesied about this in 43. You know the passage. You've heard it many times. This is what the Lord says. I think I might have it on the screen. 
This is what the Lord says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Have you heard that? What a time to say that. I'm going to say that part again in COVID. This is what the Lord says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in COVID. I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams into wasteland. So, I like what somebody said about Tawadi. The definition of insanity is changing nothing and then pretending something will change. Or worse, changing nothing and pretending things have changed. If we don't change anything, we shouldn't be surprised if we get the same results. Don't expect to see a change if you don't make one. If you want to do something new, you have to stop doing something old. That's Tawadi. That statement I made earlier, with such a momentous things happening in Jesus' day and the radical changes on the way, it was not time for practicing religion as usual. I want to challenge you this morning. I believe that's a statement for us today. With all the changes that are happening around us, it is not time for religion as usual. There is no going back, my friends. There is going only forward and upward with the Lord. I believe we should guard against those who would place back on us the shackles, the yoke of slavery, of religious rituals and regulations that want to weigh us down, that want to keep us mourning, that want us to look miserable. God help the church. We don't need any more people looking miserable. The world's got enough of that. They're needing people who are filled with the Holy Spirit ready to celebrate what God is doing and will equip them to face anything and full of the joy of the Spirit. That's what people are needing in this day. God help the people that are going around asking, why? Now, I, I believe there's an honest question, why? But you know the why I'm talking about. Why aren't we doing the things like we used to do? Why, why aren't you observing the practices that I observe? Why, must you, why are you continually living a lifestyle like that? You need to live the lifestyle like I'm doing so that you can look holy like I'm looking holy. Oh, my friends, be very, very careful. We can put out the Spirit's fire so quickly in somebody's life. We've been around it in the church. If you've been in the church any length of time, there are always the wet blankets that want to put out the Spirit's fire. And the worst thing is when you become new in the faith and you're excited about your faith, they want to come and get you channeled into their direction. And I want to say to you today, don't listen to them, listen to God's leading. Hear me right, I am not talking about righteousness and obeying God. We need to be obedient people. We need to trust and obey. But I am talking about when people are trying, the legalists, to put a yoke on other people, stop doing it. And don't allow people to put it on you. For where the Spirit is, there is freedom and liberty. 
So here's the last two questions. What's the new thing God is wanting to do in your life? Going to ask the worship team to come. What's the new thing? I don't care how many years you've walked with the Lord. I don't care if you were a child and you were raised in Sunday school. That's a wonderful thing. What's the new thing that God is wanting to do in your life, that God is wanting you to embrace? What God is saying to you, I want to do in your heart. I want to do in your life. I want to do in your marriage. I want to do something new in your family. I want to do something new in this church. Do you believe that today? What's the new thing? And likewise, here's the second question. What's the old thing that needs to go? What's the old thing that you need to finally bring to the feet of Jesus and say it's got to go? Is it a mindset? Is it rules and regulations? Is it legalism? Is it doing things merely to show other people? Is it the comparison game where you're comparing yourself to others? And I'm not too bad because I'm better than so-and-so. God help us. Is it judging? Is it superimposing my convictions for my disciplines, for my spiritual walk, and trying to put them on other people? That's got to go. Is it a yoke of slavery that needs to go in order to make room for the new wine and the new thing that God is wanting to do? Lord, as we end this service today, we confess we've been thrown into changes again. And, and, and it's messy. It's not simple. It's not easy. It, it, it's been a struggle this, what is it now, Lord, eight months? And we go to complete shutdown, and then we go to uh, things online, and then we move from online to back in-house. And, Lord, it's been messy. It's not been easy. But the truth of it is, the kingdom of God doesn't come in our nice little neat kingdom boxes that we like, like Christmas gifts, a certain size that are perfect. It wants to break wide open the box. It wants to break wide open our lives. It wants to break wide open this church for his glory. And so God, help us to be flexible, adaptable people who could receive the new thing, oh God, that you're wanting to do. Help us never to be roadblocks, but help us to be conduits to the Spirit's moving. Lord, I pray that you would speak to people today, but I believe you don't just speak today, you'll speak in the days ahead. Sometimes when we go to say something, sometimes when we go to grumble and complain about something, we'll hear that word, Tawadi. Time to open your heart and your life to the new thing that the Spirit wants to do. God, that broke my heart that day when I met that elderly couple doing all they could to worship the Lord in that youth service. And I said that day in my conviction that as I aged, as I every year passes, I want to keep their spirit. I want to be like them. And Lord, we know that youth sometimes can roll their eyes when they hear a good old gather song and it's the same stinking attitude. It all needs to go, Lord. We all need to be open to what the Spirit is trying to do for all of us that we can see your kingdom come here, right in Elmsdale, right in West Prince, as it is in heaven. And we would give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.